It fascinates me when I think of what people say and do with a New Year's. It fascinates me because really it's just a change from one day to another. But somehow, superstitiously, people think, oh, wow, all the bad things of 2017 are gone. And now we have a happy new year to enjoy. It's filled with eagerness. It's filled with anticipation. It's filled with the fact that this year is going to be vastly different from what was true in the preceding year. It's also filled with individuals saying, you know, I had planned to do, and whatever it is, you can fill in the blank, and never got it done last year. Well, this year, this is what I'm planning to do, and I am making my resolutions to be sure I can accomplish whatever it is that I have determined to do. We say it is happy new year. I don't know about you, but for me, I would like this to be a happy new year for me personally. And I can honestly say that my prayer for each of you is that this year would be a happy new year for you as well. But not a happy like the world speaks of happiness. I'm talking about a deep-seated delight and joy that weathers whatever circumstances may come, that provides a resource and an inward vitality to enable us to find pleasure and joy in whatever comes. It's for that reason that I thought it'd be good as we begin this new year to go to the book of Philippians. Uh, We know some of the first uh, members of the church in Philippi, right? There was a Roman jailer that uh, was converted to Christ through the testimony of Paul and Silas singing hymns of praise to God in the Philippian jail. There was a woman by the name of Lydia who was a seller of purple expensive cloth who came to the Lord through the ministry of Paul and Silas and others obviously that were brought together to a congregation that as we read in the book of Philippians was very special to the apostle Paul. They were a delight to his heart. And they were also a group that had a great desire to be an encouragement to Paul and to provide for him. And they had sent a gift to Paul to help with his physical needs. And the book of Philippians is really Paul's thank you note to let the church at Philippi know that he had received the gift that they had sent and he was very grateful for it. But what is most important as we look at the book of Philippians and helps us appreciate why God preserved it for us today is that it's a book about daily living. A child of God living in this world. And what is to be characteristic of God's people as they live in this world? I think it's summarized by a verse found at the end of the book whereby 
the pen of Paul, God reminded his people that they were to rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Hey, did you miss what I said? And again, I say to you, what? Rejoice. God's people are the only people who really have any right to real joy. In fact, when Nehemiah spoke to the Jews in his own day, charged with the uh, responsibility of rebuilding the walls, he let them know in the midst of their uh, sorrow and difficulty, distress, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the book of Philippians is a book about living in a way that honors God in our daily life. And first and foremost, I need to recognize that honoring God in my daily life, sure, it includes pursuing holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Sure, it includes being concerned about one's inner being and the fact that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart are acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But the reality is what ought to permeate the child of God is the joy of the Lord. Now, why should that not be true true of us and not a surprise to us? The psalmist said, in God's presence is the fullness of what? Joy. In God's presence is the fullness of joy forevermore. And I am convinced the closer one draws near to God, the more joy becomes an inner reality to him or her. So the book of Philippians, designed for us to better understand how we're to live each day as a child of God and a realization that what ought to characterize us as God's people is joy. So while the world goes and celebrates and has its noisemakers and is looking for a happy new year with no foundation or reason for it, God's people have a reason for everlasting abiding joy. We have the reason for joy because our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. We have the reason for joy because today, guess what your heavenly father is doing for you if you are one of his children. He is working everything together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We have everlasting joy because no matter how dark and desperate the situation in this world may appear to be, God tells us, lift up your eyes on high because your redemption draws nigh. We have a blessed hope that Christ is coming again to receive his own to himself and we will forever be with the Lord. Joy for this new year. The other thing that I find of importance is that Paul makes it very clear if you are to have joy in your daily life and appreciate what God has done for you, then there is something that must be central and the foundation and the focus of your life. You know what it is? Jesus Christ himself. And in each chapter, Paul makes it very clear That's what enabled him to rejoice even when he was in prison, when he was hindered from proclaiming the gospel as God had commissioned him to do. Because in chapter 1, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
In chapter 3, he said, you know what really motivates and drives me? That I may know him, that is Jesus Christ. And when he gets to the fourth chapter and he said, you know, sometimes I have an abundance, sometimes I suffer need, but instead of moaning and groaning about my circumstance, I have learned to be content in whatever state I find myself because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And now in this second chapter, in our study today, he says, let this mind or this attitude, this worldview, this philosophy of life, this way of approaching each day be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And as we look at this today, the first thing we need to understand when he says, let this attitude, this mindset, this outlook on life be in you, it is an imperative. What does that mean? It's a command. Simple as that. What does God want you to do today? To have the outlook on life in your circumstances, in whatever comes to pass, and particularly in your relationships with one another, to have the outlook, the mindset, the worldview that was true of Jesus Christ. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Although he existed in the form of God, he did not, regard, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue, uh, excuse me, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Well, if the mind of Christ is living in you, it means that the attitude that was characteristic of him is the attitude that is characteristic of you. In this imperative, there are two important concepts with it. When he says, have this attitude or have this mindset, this outlook, the first is, do it now. Don't wait for another time. Don't say meant when it's more convenient. It's an imperative that means get started with it right away. But it is also an imperative that means it's not to be intermittent. It's not to be from time to time. It's not only to be periodic. The mindset of Christ was an outlook in life that began in eternity past before he ever began his self-humiliation 
And God took to himself human flesh. And it is a mindset that continued throughout all of his earthly life. There wasn't times in the life of Jesus where we would say he really didn't have this attitude that is manifested here in Philippians. It was characteristic of him. And therefore, it is to be characteristic of you and of me as individuals who profess to be the followers of Christ. In this passage before us, what we find is that Jesus Christ is our example of how we're to live each day. And as we come to the Lord's table, which ties into this, always remember that the thing that he stated is, do this in remembrance of what? Me. Not what he did, although that's included. It is a person that we're remembering. And who is this person that we're remembering? Well, we have one of the greatest exclamations of what was true of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the statement here. He states first and foremost that this attitude that was in Jesus Christ, that although he existed in the form of God, and the word that is translated existed means that it was a continued form of existence, wasn't something that came into being. In other words, he had always been this way. The second phrase or term that's important for us to understand is the word form. And what I need to recognize is that the Greek term form does not mean that it was just an appearance of something or seemed to be like. You will notice that that word is repeated in this passage where it says in verse 7... Christ emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant or of a servant. This Greek word means the outward manifestation of what is the essential inner character. And so when we think of Jesus Christ, he existed in a way in which there was an outward manifestation of all that was essential of God himself. In other words, in eternity past, before God ever said, let there be light, there is a recognition that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all radiated the splendor of the divine glory. It was the manifestation of the fact that this is God and all the essential substance of what made up the divine nature was radiated forth from the being of God the Son. And yet, Christ did not keep clinging to 
to have my rights. I have to let people see who I really am. I have to be sure that I get the honor that I deserve. In other words, Jesus Christ was very contrary to the mindset of the day which says, be sure you look out for number one. Do everything you can to please yourself. When Christ came into the world, he didn't seek to please himself. In fact, he says here that Jesus Christ did two things that helps us better understand this mindset. In verse 7, he emptied himself. In verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he what? He humbled himself. The point that is being made here is that if I embrace the attitude of Christ, the outlook on life, this world philosophy or view, then I am not an individual that is living to exalt myself. But instead, I am living for another reason or purpose. He emptied himself. Now, sadly, some people think that, well, what Christ did is that he divested himself of his deity. He couldn't do that. That is who he is by nature. He didn't set aside any of his divine attributes any more than you as a human being could say, well, there's certain parts about being human I'm not going to have true of me anymore. To be constituted as a divine being. He is the omniscient, omnipresent, all-righteous, holy God. But what did he divest himself of? What did he empty himself of? What did he set aside? Well, it's clarified for us when it says he took on the form of a servant. The outward manifestation of the splendor and the glory that belongs to God and receiving the honor and the tribute that he deserves as God, he set aside. He divested himself of it. And when he was on the earth, he looked like a mere man, didn't he? In fact, the religious leaders understood the claims that Christ made about himself. And they accused him of blasphemy. Why? Because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Or he could say to the apostles, Why do you say to me, show us the Father? He that has seen me has seen the Father. When he declared that he was the good shepherd who gave eternal life to his sheep, what did he say about himself and the Father? We're of the same substance. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. And the Father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are the same. Not person, but we're of the same substance. 
all the essential properties that are true of God were true of Jesus Christ the Lord. And when we remember him, we need to be sure we remember it is God manifested in the flesh. He took to himself human form, but the personality that was expressed through the physical material body of Jesus of Nazareth was that of God the Son. He divested himself of his outward glory. There were a couple of times when that outward glory was seen. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? And where his whole being began to radiate with a splendor that was true of the divine being. But he emptied himself. He took apart, uh, set apart that divine radiance. And being fa- uh, taking on the form of a bondservant. Let this mind be in you. What is important for you today? What should be your outlook on life? What is God's will for you today? Here am I, Lord. Use me. Before he said, have this attitude, he says, don't look out for your own interests, but instead the interests of others. What I need to recognize as my calling before God is that I am an instrument in his hand to bring God's blessing, God's love, God's grace into the life of other lives of other people. And other people have a relevance and a significance in my life greater than my own. So if I am living as I should after the example of Jesus Christ, there is a recognition instead of self-exaltation, my life is to be characterized by self-humiliation. Isn't that right? We think it's great to be a human being, and it is. It's the greatest of all of God's physical creation. But for God to become a man, that wasn't exaltation, that was humiliation. And then to live among men, as we just sang in the hymn, my example is he, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was despised, he was looked down upon. By others. And Jesus said, The servant is not above his master. And if these, they've done these things to me, the green tree, the one who embraces life, how much more to those of us who are his followers? So when we go through life, we don't like being treated like servants. We don't like to be looked down upon by others. You want a happy new year? You want to have joy? 
and recognize your divine calling. Because just as Jesus Christ came into the world not to be served, but to serve, so it is for you and me. And the better I understand that all that I need to recognize is that God has called me to be his servant, to do everything I can to enrich and better the life of someone else, the more content and the happier I'll be. And in fact, this humiliation didn't end with just being found in the form of a servant. By the way, one of the key concepts that is brought out in the book of Isaiah as to how Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, is described, the servant of the Lord or of Yahweh. He says, being found in the appearance as a man, he did what? He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death and even the death on a cross. A cruel, shameful, horrific way to die. And while on that cross, the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God the Father and God the Son, in that moment of time, experienced something that the Godhead had never experienced before. And that is the basis of Christ's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. Because the one who was the eternal delight of the Father, for whom the Father repeatedly said about during his earthly life, this is my beloved Son. This is the one who is the most precious to me. Listen to him. It pleased God to crush him, to put him to grief. When he rendered himself as an offering for sin, the wrath that was deserved by others was poured out on him. What a salvation. And what a savior. There was no boundary he set in his self-humiliation to complete and fulfill the father's will that all that the father had given him, he would not lose any one of them. And if you're a child of God today rejoicing in his salvation, it's because of the outlook, the attitude, the mindset that was true of God the Son who endured such suffering and the wrath of God deserved by others unto himself. 
Therefore, the father didn't leave him there. Therefore, just as there are two realities of what the son willingly did to himself, there are two things that the father did in honoring the son. Notice verses 9 through 11. God highly exalted him. Second, God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So just as Jesus willingly set aside the outward display of his glory, God the Father answered his high priestly prayer recorded for us in John chapter 17 where Jesus prayed and said, Lord, Father, restore to me the glory I ever had with you from before the foundation of the world. God has highly exalted him and he's bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, not the name Jesus, that at the name that belongs to Jesus, the name that has now been given to Jesus, every knee is going to bow. And it doesn't matter whether it's angelic beings in the heavens. It doesn't matter whether it's spirit beings under the earth, the demons and the devil. It doesn't matter whether it's human beings on the earth. The point is every creature is going to bow his knee. And he is going to confess. He is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is. And here's the name. He is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. You'll bow to him now or you'll eventually bow to him. Because his is the only name that's been given among men to have that exalted position. Just as he is now the only name by which we can be saved... He is the one that all creatures will honor and exalt and will humbly bow before him. Now, if you look at the passage of what Paul stated here, where he said, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, Paul is actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Isaiah. And in that quotation that Paul is making in this section, he is acknowledging that Jesus Christ is God. Because in Isaiah, the Lord says, I am the Lord and there is no one like me. And to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am the supreme one, the only God, the only one worthy of all honor and glory. And so God the Son has been exalted and in his resurrection it has been acknowledged that he truly is the only one who is worthy of our life and our devotion. He is the only one that is worthy of our gratitude and our thanksgiving because in him though our sins were as scarlet He made them white as snow because in him we have the right to be called the children of God. Even though we were dead in our sin, we're children of wrath even as the rest. But if I'm a child of God, I am a recipient of grace, which is God's riches given to me 
at Christ's expense. Jesus paid it all. And it's all to him I owe. Starting a new year. You know where your focus needs to be? On the one who in self-humiliation has now been exalted and is the only thing as well as being that is worth living for. Everything else is a facade and a shamble. And only those who, like Paul, could say, for me to live is Christ, will find that death is gain. Only those who build their foundation on Jesus Christ will be able to see in their experience the reality of rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. And as we go through each day, those who are the children of God need to be sure they have their head screwed on right. You know, get your mind right. What is God's will for you today? Let the one among you who is the greatest of all do what? Be the servant of all. And Jesus Christ is not asking you to do anything that he has not already done to a far greater extent that you have the privilege of praying our Father who art in heaven. You've been clothed in his righteousness because of his self humiliation and now has been exalted forevermore. We come to the Lord's table and as we participate in the elements that he's given us to remember him, there's no getting around the fact that in this we do see the Lord's death as we partake of those elements to represent his body, this bread is my body which has been broken for you. When we partake of the cup, we have the recognition that his blood is what washes us clean from our sin and is the foundation of our covenantal relationship with God, right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as we participate, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. He's coming again, not in humiliation, but in great glory. But as we partake of the elements he's given, please do it in remembrance of him. You understand what that means? Just like when God remembers something, he brings it to pass. He makes it vivid. He makes it prominent. May this time as we partake of these elements be the time for you to rejoice in the person of your Savior. May it be the time for you to reflect upon the goodness of God.
because Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your wonderful word. I thank you for how it discloses to us not only our condition and sin and our great need, but even more importantly, our great God and the salvation that we have in God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we just willingly and humbly confess, like Thomas did, he is my God, he is my Lord. He is the one who has accomplished my redemption. And may you be honored, Father, in each of our lives. May we live this day embracing and expressing the mind of Christ who put no boundary on his humiliation to accomplish our redemption. And although we have not yet physically seen him, we love him. And how we look forward to the time when we will visibly and physically bow before him and acknowledge that he is Lord to your honor and your glory. Thank you, Father, for such an indescribable gift. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.